Hello and welcome to the Back to School edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. On Tuesday, Canadians witnessed a major renovation take place in the House of Commons. And no, it wasn't of the building. In a sizable cabinet shuffle that brings new faces to several key files, only eight ministers stayed in their portfolios among 38 appointments. It's time for several ministers to hit the books as school is back in session with their new portfolios. Today, I'm joined by Alex Ballingall, a reporter from the Toronto Star's Ottawa Bureau and a man with his finger on the pulse of all things Ottawa. He's going to unpack this major political shift, with women taking the helm in major portfolios managing several key jobs and a noteworthy shift in environment that grants a former Greenpeace activist his dream job. Things are about to get interesting in Ottawa. This is Political Traction. All right, we have a special guest on the podcast this week, as I mentioned, uh, Alex Bollingall. Thank you for joining us. Um, truth be told, this is the first time we've chatted, but I followed you on Twitter. So, uh, oh, good. The time. Good. Uh, yeah, you're one of my uh, few followers, I guess. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's not the most exciting Twitter feed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're all important. Yeah. Um, so, there was a cabinet shuffle this week, a uh, pretty big one. In fact, we had a pool at the office. I lost, uh, and not to be, uh, not to surprise anybody. Um, but, you know, as someone who closely watches Ottawa, what did you make of, of uh, this fancy brand new 38 faces? Well, not all brand new, but mostly new, new departments uh, this week. Yeah, it was, it was quite a, a, a substantial, uh, you know, shuffling of, of, uh, of the cabinet. I, I, I don't know what, I, I think a lot of people expected it to be significant, significant given how much time had passed before, uh, like since the election before we actually saw this new team un- unveiled. Um, but no, there were some interesting, there were some demotions, some surprising demotions. Like, you know, we've been, there have been rumors flying around that Garneau, you know, I'd heard that a few times that Garneau was, was potentially going to be demoted as, as he was. Um, but I was surprised by Jim Carr and I hadn't heard anyone talking about Bartis Chagger. Maybe that's just because she was more of a junior portfolio anyways, but yeah. So there were some demotions. There were also some promotions, um, you know, somebody from, uh, uh, Toronto that we, that we covered closely in the campaign, Marcy Ian got in the cabinet from Toronto center, Sean Fraser, which he's, he's often seen as a big, uh, he was, uh, I think widely seen by a lot of people in Ottawa as a very competent liberal MP in the parliamentary secretary level promoted up Melanie Jolie though, I think was maybe the biggest surprise coming uh into foreign affairs but no it was a it was an interesting day uh and lots of things to look at and think about uh as we wait for those mandate letters that will tell us even more things to think about and look at so and when you're preparing to cover a shuffle obviously you know you're kind of around Ottawa and you'll be in charge of x or y or, you know um like following the liberals following the conservative but like what do you do do you draw up a list do you have a chart do you because you know it was the funniest thing I think I was watching CTV and they're trying to figure out who everybody was with the masks and stuff. And it's like, I think it's, I think it's that person. Like, how do you prepare for a shuffle? Yeah, well, I mean, I, all of us in the bureau here, all the reporters and columnists, we, we uh, just kind of work our sources and, and literally just anybody, you know, text them, call them. What are you hearing? They, you know, just like what even just like what rumors are you hearing are sometimes helpful to, just to see whose names are flying around, what's going on. Um, and as it gets closer, the things start to kind of get a bit more solid. And then the. Um, 
I guess the day before, like whatever day that was, I, I can't even, was that Monday it happened? Yeah. So Monday, yeah, it, did. <laughs> it was Tuesday, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But, but the day before the shuffle actually went down um, was the day, okay, now what, like, let's try and find some news. Um, and so we were really kind of hammering at that. Um, the only thing we managed to get was that uh, Anand was going to defense, which was one rumor that was, that was going around. Um, uh, you know, it was one of the significant ones that I'd heard for a while that she wanted defense, that she was, that that was something that after her um, stint at procurement and, and doing, you know, what, you know, actually getting us all the vaccines we needed, maybe before a lot of people expected, despite that rocky start of the, this is ancient history now, I know, but uh, anyways, yeah, so that, that was, that was basically it, but yeah, really covering it is, is just trying to get any sort of news tidbit heading into it, and then the day of, um, just kind of looking at who's up, who's down, and potential um, signals of what this means in terms of government priorities moving forward. And actually, I want to get to the Nan thing because I've not heard that she wanted that job. Because I feel like, I mean, it's a huge job. Like I, 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 I literally tweeted like, Godspeed to this woman. May she persevere in whatever like heads rolling, shit disturbing she needs to do to get that place sort of in order. But I've been inside government and there's a very deliberate rollout, right? Like you talk about you're chasing the news tidbits and it talking about Garno, like it was very clear there was some like a lot of deliberate seating in advance that if he was going to be out, that they wanted to make sure that it was he's the greatest foreign affairs minister we've ever had. He was key to this. And then like the ambassador to France thing got dangled to the point where it basically became accepted fact with like zero confirmation. From any, so was there like did you see a deliberate effort on behalf of the government to sort of like lay track on some of those those pieces or was that just a rumor thing that got so widely spread we all just sort of nodded and said yeah he's going to be ambassador to france like yeah we don't need an appointment process i think it was more the latter uh for from what i could tell from talking to people uh that it sort of got a life of its own out there and it may be well true but the people i, I you know i tried to do a story i'm like why is garno out of cabinet i didn't get that question answered and the, the day I was trying to get that, but, um, but yeah, the people I was talking to say, well, it's, it's, it's not uh, uh, set in stone that that's what's going to happen or, or that they're not ready to announce that or whatever it is. I, you know, they weren't ruling it out either, but um, yeah, I, I don't know where he's going to land or what it is. And, and I didn't, I certainly didn't know uh, ahead of time that they were going to, that I, I didn't perceive that, that they were laying tracks to sort of give him like a soft landing out. To me, it was, uh, despite the rumors going around that he was out, uh, I didn't see the government trying to make it a soft landing or trying, like people trying to say like, no, you know, like in advance trying to prepare that message. Um, it was actually very hard to get any information. And I don't know if this is like this all the time. Um, it's it's always hard to get information, I guess, but but yeah, the day before the cat, it was very hard to get anything confirmed at all. Um, you know, sometimes I'm sure you know, uh, having been in government, obviously, that, that there's sometimes, oh, well, maybe we leak this to this this paper, or maybe, you know, to get this one out beforehand for whatever reason that we think that's advantageous to how we want to spin it or whatever. Um, I didn't feel like that was, at least not for the Toronto Star, that was, there was no deliberate leaks that, that I was aware of. Yeah, I remember when I was with Baird, John Baird, we were at um, Treasury Board, and he got shuffled to environment in 06, 07, 07. Um, and I like, I had gracefully been told, like, I thankfully been told, I think the night before, very late that we were moving there, 
but like a lot of my colleagues woke up, including folks in the office and found out where they were maybe going on the front yeah. page of the newspaper. It was like, oh, we're, we're moving to environment. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that a star story too. It wasn't that in the star. It was a star story. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it was a star story. I remember that it was, uh, um, which would make sense. Cause anyway, for a variety of reasons at that time. Um, so, and then, so she like, her move to defense, big deal. Obviously she was, you know, viewed, I think relatively competent at what she did with the vaccine procurement. Oh yes. We have short memories for the early days. Um, but that I understand was a complete shit show, like no matter where you were in the world. Yeah. Uh, so she wanted the job, eh? Cause that's to me, like that is like, that's a huge problem area for the government. They weirdly kept Sergeant in there for a very long time. And that's not the first time governments have struggled with that department, right? It's one of the most challenging. You've got both the military, the department itself, um, I mean, we had Gordon Camp O'Connor, O'Connor, I think, um, as our O'Connor as our minister, and he also had a real tough couple of years there. Mm-hmm. So, what's the what was the thinking there? And and, and yeah, why did she want to like jump into that tire fire? So I, I don't know exactly. Like I I, I and I don't know that for a fact. I've just kind of heard that, so I don't know if it's a hundred percent for sure that she wanted it. Um, I certainly, I you know, from from my my personal vantage point, my analysis of her and having talked to her, she she seems like a very driven person, very competent person. So I could see her wanting it too. Like it does make sense. Um, Given that this is a huge challenge, it's going to be a huge, um, you know, if she succeeds in in helping to change this culture and, and, and make significant changes to end this, you know, crisis of sexual misconduct in the military. um, that's yet another massive uh, political victory for her after, you know, what, yeah. what could be argued is it was a, a significant political victory, figuring out this vaccine thing and getting all the PPP and, and really handling uh, uh, a pretty important, uh, well, not just pretty important, vital, something vital for Canada's uh, pandemic response. So, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, in, in saying that she wants it, I've just heard that. I don't know 100%. So like, just to be clear on that. Okay, no problem. And what a, what about the whole move with the environment now? Like that was the thing that stood out to me um, a lot as well, right? It is the move of Gilbo to environment. He was under a lot of fire heritage. Um, you know, he's a former, like Equiterre is not, it's not your like friendly environmental group. Uh, the warm and fuzzies, we have the environment minister now going to natural resources. So, you know, we, I think you saw Seamus O'Regan be a little more of a, like the natural pull between Enercan and environment, right? There's a bit of tension there, which yeah. I think, and that they seem to be removing as much of that tension as possible. Um, what is, do we think we're just going to see a lot of action on this? And like, what kind of message does that send to those resource heavy, you know, like even BC, Alberta, like what's the government's thoughts there? I think that, the, yeah, I think that the, that this move is, is another one of the major, more significant ones. And it does send that signal, I think. And we saw Jason Kenney jump right at that. I, I don't know if it was the same day as the shuffle or the next day, but you know, basically saying having Gibo at environment is, is, is troubling to us. I don't I can't remember the exact quote, but basically maybe I had better, uh, more spicy language, but, um, but yeah, that, no, that's interesting that, that Wilkinson now and NRCAN, um, I was interviewing him last night and he was saying that the biggest challenge that he sees for him in this new role will be working with the fossil fuel sector, the energy sector, as they try and, uh, you know, bring in the cap, uh, bring in more strict methane regulations to get, uh, you know, strong, uh, larger methane reductions in the next uh, decade, I guess, nine years. Um, yeah, that, 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 so it, I think it does change that dynamic. And, you know, NRCAN is, as you say, is traditionally seen as, 
you know, environmentalists always say it's like the oil seat to cabinet. It's like the champions of the oil industry and the fossil And so having Wilkinson in there might change that dynamic and it might, it might create a more collaborative um, dynamic with environment as they try and, you know, step up their, their climate plan with, especially I think the cap on emissions for the oil and gas sector. I think that is going to be the big, uh, the big issue and maybe the big, if there's going to be a, a major point of tension with the industry and the government, I think that will be one of the, one of the biggest ones. Um, what about the folks that were not in, you know, there, there's some surprises to be elevated, but there's also folks like surprises that didn't make it in. I mean, I, like I know Yasser Nakbi from um, like Ontario politics and he's a super competent um, guy. I think, you know, experienced minister. Um, there's a few others. Like, what did you make of the, the folks who did not get the phone sat there probably sadly by their phones used to be a desk phone now it's a cell phone with like probably <laughs> their glass of wine or their whiskey like what did you make of that all those yeah i mean i my colleague race patel did a story kind of on the on the cabinet snubs if, if we can call them that or the, or the people that were overlooked um greg fergus is another one that that um i think a lot of people thought you know um could potentially get it he's a former i think he's a former president of the liberal party and then also, uh, you know, uh, uh, chair of the, the Parliamentary Black Caucus. And, you know, he stood by Trudeau and defended him. I don't know if it was the day after the blackface revelations, but, you know, during the blackface scandal, during, you know, uh, that episode. Um, Overlooked. There was a few others too, but yeah. Um, I, I think a, a part of it is, is uh, and I have no idea about, you know, the challenges of crafting a cabinet and looking at the regions. Um, but Manitoba too, doesn't have uh, a minister in there, um, you know, with Jim Carter being demoted out or, or left out. Um, but, you know, with the gender parity uh, as well, I think, you know, if there were some of those like Yasser Nafi and maybe Greg Fergus, like got men who were kind of on the bubble or close and seen as competent, you know, maybe uh, had a hard time getting, getting in versus whatever, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I, there's all these factors, the gender parity, the regional. Um, and I guess it just, it's just kind of shakes out like that. Yasser Nackby, I get, you know, very experienced. Uh, I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him in, but the, the names we were hearing ahead were, were more Marcy Ian, um, Helen, Helena Jasek, who uh, I can't remember what she got in the end. It's all a blur, but uh, she's in cabinet. Um, and so, yeah, we were hearing more names like that than, than uh, Nackby and, and Fergus and people like that. So now that this cabinet's had a couple of days to marinate, we've sort of, you know, gone through and figured out who wasn't on the party list after you sort of get overwhelmed by all the people that show up. Um, what do you think, what kind of message is the government sending with, with this, or trying to send um, with this cabinet? I think, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of um, the spin that, that I was hearing heading into this, but I, I think this is what their, their, their spin is what they're trying to send. <laughs> which is uh, that their priorities are climate, their priorities are housing, um, you know, shaving off uh, housing into kind of its own portfolio with, with uh, Ahmed Hassan in, in there, um, with the, the climate move with, with Wilkinson and Arcan and Gibo, you know, the Mr. Uh, Ekita Greenpeace into, uh, into environment. Um, so I, I think those are like sort of the policy signals that these, these types of things are gonna be very important for them. Um, Mental health, another one, I guess, like carving yeah. that off to uh, to give to Carolyn Bennett is interesting. Sort of an, a minister of mental health, kind of. Um, 
given the, you know, the, the crisis that we've, of that, that we've seen coming out of the pandemic. Um, and then I think there's some signals to, to not only cabinet ministers, but caucus, like with the, with the elevation of Melanie Jolie from, you know, in the doghouse over the Netflix thing, and then kind of getting demoted into more junior portfolios. And then, and then, you know, seemingly doing a good job there and working her way back to like the very front bench is a signal that that's possible under Trudeau potentially. And then also having people like Sean Fraser, like a good, a good, uh, you know, more backbench uh, MP who comes in parliamentary secretary works his way into cabinet, that that's possible on, in, in the Trudeau loop. So I think there's like internal signals like that, as well as, as them trying to really say, this is what our, what our next mandate is going to be about. And before the election happened, there was sort of this, for this, like, you know, parliament wasn't functioning, committees were disasters, like, blah, 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 blah. So now we've had the election, you can argue the results, whatever. Um, what's the mood like in Ottawa? Have you gotten a feel for that? Or are people going to get back to work? Are we going to see more wrangling? Um, is it just as fractious as before? Or, or will this new cabinet sort of um, have a better way to work with their opposition colleagues, be it the Conservatives or the NDP or whatever's left of the Green Party? That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think it's that sort of remains to be seen. I, the, the first sort of point of um, uh, the test point, or I don't know how to phrase it, but you know what I mean? The proof point on that is this, I think this argument over mandatory vaccines and what the concert, like how that's playing out at the Board of Internal Economy and how that's going to play out in terms of will they agree to a hybrid parliament or will, will it have to be imposed against the Conservatives' will? Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, they. I know that they, the first few weeks after the election, um, you know, uh, at least the NDP, the party I cover the most, hadn't heard from Trudeau uh, until I think it was last week, right? So that, that like talks hadn't really started and I think it's only now starting that that positioning, and we, and we still have a few weeks. Uh, I can't remember the day they come back—the twenty-second of November or something. Uh, yeah, the twenty-second. So I mean, that feels like a million years away. So so there's still uh, there's still quite a bit of time to sort of uh, set the ground for for those you know committees and and uh, and how how this parliament might may or may not be more cooperative. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, but I, I think that's sort of still an unanswered question. And since you cover the NDP, I'm going to diverge a little bit, but I just got to ask, like, what's what's with the lack of the killer instinct with the NDP? I mean, they kind of got sort of the same amount of like, like there just seems to be like Jugmeet saying is broadly popular, but it hasn't translated to great gains for them. And yet they seem very happy and content to jump around. Like if like the conservatives, like my people just, you know, we're, we're off for your head as soon as there's like a moment <laughs> of weakness. Where there seems to be yeah. endless patience with the NDP, be it federal or provincial. So, like, what's the what's been the scuttlebutt in that party since uh, since election day? Uh, well, I think that yeah, as you say, like Jigme, all the polls say that everybody likes them, but fewer people are willing to vote for the NDP. So that that I think in this election was the thing that they failed at transitioning that support into votes, which is now their 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 real big challenge under Jigmeet Singh's leadership. Um, but I don't think, you know, the fact that they won one seat, as far as from what I can gather, is not being blamed on Jagmeet himself. It's being blamed on, you know, maybe we didn't, uh, like, you know, circumstances uh, of the pandemic, which is kind of wow. an excuse. Uh, it's being blamed, you know, some people say, okay, we could have done better on the ground game, you know, having, you know, getting people out to vote and, and all that sort of thing, which was also hampered by the pandemic. 
but yeah, I mean, it, it, it on the face of it though, it is, it is quite a, 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 you know, they had more than they like, they spent like $11 million in the last yeah. campaign. They spent 25 million this time and they spent more than 11 million this time on advertising alone. Yeah. They had, they had way, like TV ads, they had way more money. They were traveling all over the place. They were on offense and they only got one seat. So, so in that sense, I think for them, it's, it is a big disappointment, but the, the heat from what I can tell is not, I mean, there's maybe some heat, but it's not really just on meat um, for whatever reason. Uh, it's sort of more diffuse blame uh, to a number of factors. And they think they can, you know, they also have a tradition in that party of giving leaders numerous cracks. Very long time. Indeed, yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and so um, with, the, with the notable exception of Thomas Mulcair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's basically... Uh, my read on it is that the, the blame, the reason why nobody's got knives out for Jagmeet Singh is because he's not being, his performance as the leader in the campaign is not the, the perceived reason why they didn't do well. All right, Alex, well, I know uh, you got to go and I got to go. So thank you so much for doing this and uh, hopefully we can have you back. Yeah, no, lots of fun. Thanks for having me. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, Matthew Barnes, and Thomas Ashcroft. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guest, Alex Bollingall. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Polly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.